Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah. Uh, so this is a new place. How's everyone? Good. Okay. Uh, we stopped. We stopped at uh, I think page ninety-one. Uh, we have finished the the Kalama Sutta. Yeah. This is the chapter on approaching the Dharma, the section. Now we are going on to the next section, the visible origin and passing away of suffering. Yeah. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at a town of the Malans named Uruve Lakapa. Then Badraka, the headman, approached the Blessed One, paid homage to him, sat down to one side and said to him, It would be good, Venerable Sir, if the Blessed One would teach me about the origin and the passing away of suffering. So, um, as you would know, these two, these two aspects uh, is uh, basically the first and the third noble truth yeah, that the Buddha has taught. Mm. Or rather, the second and the third. Yeah, second and the third. The origin and the passing away of suffering. Yeah. In uh, various other sutras, the Buddha has highlighted that if anyone were to ask a disciple of the Buddha the purpose, yeah, what is the purpose of the Buddha's teaching, then the uh, right answer is that the purpose of the Buddha's teaching is to teach people about uh, the the origin or the cause of suffering and the ending of it. Yeah. Uh, this expanded becomes what we call the Four Noble Truth. Yeah. So here, if hit man, I were to teach you about the origin and the passing away of suffering with reference to the past, saying, so it was in the past. Perplexity and uncertainty about that might arise in you. And if I were to teach you about the origin and the passing away of suffering with reference to the future, saying, so it will be in the future, perplexity and uncertainty about that might arise in you. Instead, hit man, while I am sitting right here, and you are sitting right there, I will teach you about the origin and the passing away of suffering. Listen and attend closely, I will speak. Yeah, so, um, the very opening of this sutta um, is very interesting. Yeah, so, uh, I've, I've seen for myself how many disciples either asking, coming to see me, or uh, I see them looking for other venerables. And the kind of question is not like this. Yeah, they don't ask questions about, oh, can you teach me about the origin and the passing away of suffering? Yeah. Instead, they'll ask like, Oh, uh, my son, uh, my, my son wants to uh, pursue a career in this and that. Is that okay? Yeah. Can you advise? Oh, uh, my daughter is now uh, almost 30 years old. Uh, uh, will she, uh, when will she find her? You know, this kind of question. Yeah. Not, very few times do we see this. On the other hand, um, on one hand we have this, but on the other hand, 
we do have people coming to um, the Sangha asking uh, about the troubles that they have. Yeah? Uh, but still, it is not in this context. It is not asking about the origin and the passing away of something. But it's basically asking, uh, can you help me fix this? Yeah? I have this problem. I have that problem. Yeah? Uh, is there some, uh, some blessing that you can do, some chanting that you can do, that you can somehow wave away the, the problem that I have, uh, without me changing anything? Yeah. The, without me changing anything is implicit. Yeah. Most people will not highlight that, but usually they think in that way. Yeah. Why, why is this so? Or how, how is it that we can tell? Uh, because usually they will ask, uh, what must we do? Huh? Uh, what are the kind of rituals we must do? Yeah. Uh, what kind of offerings we must make? Yeah. Uh, usually asking for some rituals or some kind of, um, in a way, unrelated practices. Yeah. That doesn't involve changing themselves. Yeah. Maybe the only change they are willing to do is, yeah, I, I spend a bit of money or I spend a bit of time to do something external from my life. Yeah. And then, but you, you, as long as you tell me that I can, doing this will somehow magically change the situation. I don't, you don't have to tell me, um, how it's going to change. I don't need to know. And in fact, I don't want to know also. I just want a quick fix, in other words. Mm. So, Badraka replied, Yes, Venerables. Venerable sir. Yeah. Uh, Badra, Badraka replied, The Blessed One said this, What do you think, hitman? Are there any people in Uruvela, Kappa, Uruvela Kappa, on whose account sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair would arise in you? If you were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored. So, uh, Andrew, would you like to continue from there? There are such people, Venerable Sir. But are there any people in Uruvera, Kappa? Just hang on. Where's the other mic? Yes. Let's, let's check whether it's... Muted. Okay, so you don't have to bring it to your mouth, but uh, hang on, uh. this should be clip on here. Okay, so you just have to hold it here. Okay, it should work. Uh, there are such people, venerable sir. But are there any people in Uruvera Kappa on whose account sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair would not arise in you in such an event? There are such people, Venerable Sir. Why is it, hate man, that in relationship to some people in Uruvera Kappa... In relation, sorry? Uh, in relation to some people in... To whom? And Which line are you reading? Uh, oh, the, the oh, one before that. Uh, mm. okay, uh, I okay, why is it hate men that in relation to some people? Okay. Mm. okay. Why is it hate men 
that in relation to some people in Uruvera Kappa, sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair would arise in you if they were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored, while in regard to others, they would not arise in you. The, those people in Uruvera Kappa, Venerable Sir, in relationship, in, sorry, in relation to whom sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair would arise in me if they were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored. These are the ones for whom I have desire and attachment. But those people in Uruvera Kappa, in relation to whom they would not arise in me, these are the ones for whom I have no desire and attachment. Thank you. Mm. So, uh, the Buddha very directly um, goes in this uh, question-answer format. Yeah. Um, the Buddha oftentimes replies to people with questions. Yeah. Um, and it's not so much to diffuse the original question, but it's to, uh, it's, it's such that it gets the, uh, the person who asked the question to, to arrive at some conclusion themselves. Yeah. Giving them, um, open, open discourse. Yeah. Open dialogue to consider. Yeah. With their own wisdom, with their own thinking. Yeah. And again, as uh, previous sessions, I highlighted that uh, it requires a certain level of, uh, what do you call that? Um, a certain level of people who are reasonable. Yeah. If individuals are unreasonable, then a lot of these this, uh, exchanges cannot take place the way it did. When the Buddha asked them certain questions, they answered uh, reasonably. They don't look for some special exceptions to, to just dispute it. Yeah. Uh, but there were one or two, a few, where the, the person who asked the question would sneak around. Yeah. Would avoid the question. Yeah. And to which the Buddha don't hesitate, don't hesitate to call them out also. And would actually call them out. And in one of them is called, uh, he, he actually called them, uh, that you are like a water snake. Yeah, you are like a water snake. That uh, when you ask this and the, the Tathagata replied that, you avoid it. When the Tathagata asked you this, then you went to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so the Buddha's approach um, is both very direct in terms of giving an answer, uh, but also in uh, giving reprimand. Yeah. Uh, in other words, he don't sugarcoat things. Yeah. So in this case, he goes straight on and asks, this is a, uh, almost like a standard for the formula. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair. Yeah. Uh, in some translation, it is sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair. Yeah. So this, this term dejection, yeah, uh, uh, is something that strikes me because in our own translation, uh, one of the person who helped to do a, uh, review, 
then noted this term dejection. Because yeah, we were using um, another term. So this sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair is what we call tan Ku Yu Nao. And it is a standard set that appears in various uh, suttas. Uh, most notably, if you look at suttas uh, to do with uh, the Paticca Samupada, the 12 links of dependent origination, then up to the last part, birth giving rise to condition as a condition, then giving rise to aging and death, then it's usually followed by this. Yeah, uh, sorrow, lamentation, pain, uh, dejection and despair, or suffering and despair, uh, pain, dejection and despair, then, and then followed by one more phrase, a whole mass of suffering. Yeah. So the Buddha, this is his, uh, uh, his concern. Yeah. And rightly speaking, he is replying to the Hitman's question because the hitman come and ask about suffering. Yeah, so he give a whole uh, more detail of the different kind of suffering. And instead of just saying that um, uh, suffering is like this or like that, he asks him, yeah, where does your suffering come from? Yeah. And so uh, by asking, okay, who are the people? Yeah, are there are there anyone? Are there any people in Uruvela Kappa? Yeah, on whose account sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair would arise in you if they were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored. Yeah. So he don't assume that there are anyone, but he asks, is there anyone? Yeah. And of course, he being reasonable, he says, oh yes, there are such people. Yeah. In actual classes today, there will be people saying, no, no one. <laughs> yeah. This is what we, in Chinese we call Ya Zi Zui Ying. Basically, Ya Zi means duck. Zui Ying. So the, the, the mouth of the duck is hard. Yeah. So uh, it is a wood play. Zui Ying means hard mouth. But uh, in, in Chinese, it means that a person is very stubborn in his, na his or her nature. So, regardless of what, the person will want to say something else. Yeah, to be, to have the last word, to, to be correct, so to speak. Yeah, so uh, refuse to bout. Yeah, to bout. Uh, bouch, bout. To, to bouch, yeah, bouch. So, ya is basically saying that the person is like that. Yeah. So, but this, badraka is not like that. Yeah. He says there is. And then the Buddha further asks, why? Yeah? Why is it hate men? Yeah? That this is so. And um, uh, why is it that some people will cause you to have sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection and despair, but others don't? Yeah. And again, this Badraka replies very factually. Yeah. Why? Because for there are those that he has desire and attachment for, and those who have whom he has desire and attachment to, uh, then it will cause that kind of suffering. Yeah. Answer very as it is. Yeah. But it also means that this Bhadraka actually has some wisdom. Yeah. So all the Buddha did was help him connect the dots. Show him the dots and he was able to connect it. 
which is actually many times when you attend Dharma classes, they're like, yeah, actually I know all these things, but I didn't see it that way, you know. Uh, so in many ways, the uh, this is what I uh, I observe over time that yeah, the profoundness of the Dharma is not in that it is obscure, but rather it's apparent and yet obscured, yeah, by those who do not see. So once you see, you're like, gosh, it was always there. It is not that it is actually something hidden, and then you need something to reveal it. Yeah, but it was never obscured. Actually, it was always facing us in the right, you know, smack in the face. But it's just that our own way of thinking, yeah, is what occluded the the sight. So, uh, hmm. uh, Louis. Hitman. Which word? Fathom. Yeah. Uh, that means to try and go and, uh, like, uh, understand to, to go and, uh, to, usually to fathom something that something is very chim or very, maybe a bit obscure, maybe a bit profound and, uh, to have a deeper understanding, to fathom. Yeah. Uh, men, by means of this principle that is seen, understood, immediately attained, that then uh, apply the method to the past and to the future past. Whatever suffering arose in the past, all that arose rooted in desire, with desire as its source, for desire is the root of suffering. Whatever suffering will arise in the future, all that will arise rooted in desire, with desire as its source. For desire is rooting of suffering. Is the root? Or is the root of suffering? Good. Yeah. So. So, you notice that the Buddha then summarizes it and then highlights that this is the principle. Yeah. Highlights the principle and then points him to say, "Huh." You see, if you refer to the, to the first para- second paragraph in this page, the Buddha says, if I will teach you about the origin and the passing away of suffering with reference to the past, then you will become perplexed and so on. Future, you'll be perplexed also. Yeah. So he said, let's talk about now. Yeah. But once he, he get the hitman to understand now, then he said, now with this same principle, you apply to the past and the future. Then you should see that, just as it is now, in the past it was also like that. Just it is as it is now and in the past, in the future it is still like that. That desire is the root of suffering. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So whatever suffering arose in the past, all that arose rooted in desire. With desire as its source, for desire is the root of suffering. Whatever arise, however, whatever suffering will arise in the future, all that arise rooted in desire, with desire as source. For desire is the root of suffering. So you see, hit men by means of this principle that is seen, understood, immediately attained, fathomed. Yeah, that means you can under, you can actually go and figure it out. Apply the method to the past and to the future past. Yeah. 
I don't know whether you all get a high. Yeah, every time we, we read the, I get a high. Yeah, because you see, uh, the Dharma, as I've repeatedly highlighted to you all, it's not about acquiring a lot of knowledge about the world, but it's about understanding the fundamental principle. Yeah, remember in, uh, some class I explained that the word Dharma, uh, first meaning phenomena, second meaning the structure and principle, and then a third meaning, so among all the different structure and principle, there are those principles that, um, that give rise to goodness, yeah, to wholesomeness. And that is what we call Buddha Dharma. Uh, and that also defines how, how this world is like. Yeah. And so, first thing we need to know is not so much go and know more Dharma, but understanding the fundamental principle. Yeah. Because once you get that principle, it's like the movie Matrix, you know. Then you see, you start to see the principle in, in the whole world. Yeah. You start to see the principle in the whole world. Then you will not see the world in the same way anymore. Yeah. See, the desire is the root of suffering. Uh, the link. Page 93. Don't bring, don't, don't bring it to your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful, Barber, sir. But you need to speak up, huh? It's wonderful, Barber, sir. It's amazing, Barber, sir. How well that has been stated by the blessed one. Whatever suffering arises, all that is rooted in desire has desire at its source. For desire is the root of suffering. Barber, sir, I have a son named Siravasi, who stay at an outside resident. I rise early and send a man saying, Go man and find out how Siravasi is. Until that man returns, brother, so I'm outside thinking, I hope Siravasi hasn't met with any affection. Thank you. So, in reply to the Buddha's statement, yeah, uh, this hitman, Bajraka, uh, is full of praise. It is wonderful, Venerable Sir. It is wonderful, Venerable Sir. How well that has been stated by the Blessed One. Whatever suffering arises, all that is rooted in desire. Has desire as source, for desire is the root of suffering. Venerable Sir, I have a son named Kirawasi who stays at an outside residence. I rise early and send a man, saying, Good man, a gold man, and find out how Shirabasi is. Until that man returns, Venerable Sir, I am upset, thinking, I hope Shirabasi has not met with any affliction. Yeah. So, uh, this is interesting, huh? This is the father. Yeah, we usually think of, uh, the, the parent, father and mother role. Uh, we usually think, oh, mother is the one who is always worried. Yeah. But actually, father can be worried also, huh? <laughs> father can be worried also. And, uh, this parallels another sutta, uh, called, uh, Pia Jataka. Pia Jataka. P-I-Y-A. J-A-T-I-K-A. Pia Jataka. Uh, I think it is in the Majima Nikaya. Um, and in that sutta, 
the Buddha shared, uh, it, actually he, he replied to this uh, man who lost his son. Yeah. And basically just very, in a way, very directly state to him that, yeah, it is understandable that you would grieve over your son. Because, you know, sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection and despair arise from, uh, is born. It arises from our loved ones. Yeah. And that man was like, what kind of nonsense are you talking about? Yeah. So I, I, I remember that sutta very well, uh, precisely because of this. Because in most suttas, the, whatever the Buddha say, I mean, not that it's whatever, but oftentimes we see that, oh, the Buddha gave a teaching and everybody rejoiced, you know, and then 500 monks attain Arahanhu, yeah, then another 500 attains uh, Anagami and so on, yeah. Uh, surely nobody will disagree, uh, but this among a few, yeah, quite a few actually, yeah, uh, the, the man actually disagreed. He disagreed, and then he went to uh, talk to other people, and he chanced upon some gamblers in the market, talked to them, told them about the whole incident, and the gamblers were like, yeah, like, how can he say that? Yeah. And there's this, this, uh, this comparison here, which is, uh, the gamblers, uh, in, in various suttas, are seen as people who, uh, whose words cannot be trusted, and, uh, usually seen as like do not know that has no wisdom. Yeah. So in, in that context, yeah, then there's a whole sutta that arises from there. That's not the end yet. Yeah, that's not the end yet. If we if inside it doesn't have the citation, maybe one of these days I will share with you. Oh. So uh, uh Panas what do you think, headman? What do you think, headman, if Chiravasi were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored, would sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair arise in you? Venerable sir, if Chiravasi were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored, even my life would seem futile. So how could sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair not arise in me? Thank you. So, uh, the, so you, you see that, uh, Bhadraka already praised the Buddha's answer and then even highlighted as an example to support what the Buddha said that he has a son and, uh, without anything happening to the son, he is already worried. Then the Buddha further reinforced this and say, if Chiravasi, your son, yeah, if your son were to be executed, imprisoned, fined or censored, would sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection and despair arise in you? Yeah, and again, uh, Bajraka, the hitman, replied very honestly, yes, if Chiravasi were to be executed, imprisoned, fined or censored, even my life would seem futile. <laughs> yeah, which for you are parent, right, Andrew? Yes. Parent, uh, Nancy also, yeah? yeah. As parents, you would feel that way, huh? If your children were to come to any of these 
Yeah, so he is answering very factually yeah, as a parent. Mm. So again, notice there is a series of question and answer. The Buddha don't simply just go straight into a conclusion. Yeah. So um, besides being reasonable, Shirabasi has faith in the Buddha. Yeah, to wait for him to uh, to draw the conclusion. Because he goes there to ask ask for teaching. So he patiently wait for the Buddha to ask. Some people, if let's say today in Singapore, some people can ask this question. And then if I, if let's say it's Sifu or maybe some other Sifu, I don't know who, I want to ask, yeah, like right at the start, saying, oh, but if I were to tell you about the past or the future, uh, you will be perplexed. Then some people will be like, oh, I'm not perplexed. Huh? Well, let's just talk about it. You know, so they, so, there's a that certain level of faith that you can see in Chirubhavasi as well. That he goes along with what the teacher has to say to see, okay, what, well, what other discovery is there? You know, and then when the Buddha don't directly just give an answer about the origin, um, but instead ask him questions, he answer factually. Yeah, he answer factually. He don't avoid the question and think, ah, not important. I let me just say something else. But he just answer the question directly as it is. Yeah, and you can see this is just one example. In all the suttas, we find that most of them are reasonable and they have some level of faith. And this is the thing about faith in Buddhism. It is not that, oh, everything must be based on evidence, so uh, no need, no faith is required. And in the previous sutta, we talked about questioning. yeah, or That uh, you should not accept something simply based on the fact that this is my teacher. So a lot of people either distort or misconstrue the Kalama Sutta, thinking that it is uh, the charter of of groundless inquiry, <laughs> yeah, that there's no place for faith. But in fact, repeatedly in various teachings, sometimes in this case, no mention of faith at all, but it's implicit. From the interaction, we can actually induce that, yeah, there's some level of faith. He go along with the various questioning. Uh, he don't just cut and say, hey, but no, you must just tell me straight away. Yeah, huh? So, you can learn over here, there are, so when you look at a sutta, there's the apparent teaching, in this case about what suffering is and how it comes about, but there's also the learning about from the character, the individuals in the sutta, how they how they ask questions. And I'll be very honest with you, when I read all the different suttas, I learn from the Buddha indirectly also, how to ask questions. Yeah, so you, sometimes you may think, oh, Ask you one question, you ask me back three more questions. Oh, but <laughs> this is because I spent years reading all this, the Buddha's example, <laughs> and I and I find that yeah, it's really helpful. Yeah, uh, because why? Because in Buddhism, we don't simply just show you the answer and expect you to accept it. Uh, so the approach is a bit different. Huh? So here, uh, da, 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 mm, uh, next, Doreen. In this way, too, hitmen, it can be understood. Whatever suffering arises, all that arises rooted in desire, with desire as its source, the desire is the root of suffering. What do you think, hitmen? Before you saw your wife or heard about her, did you have any desire, attachment, or affection for her? No, then, Goshu, 
Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, first, the Buddha goes through with him about, uh, the, so the first, first part of page 93 is about the suffering part. Yeah. Then now, uh, goes into the root, which is the desire part. Yeah. Yeah. In this way, too, hate many can be understood. Whatever suffering arises, all that arises rooted in desire, with desire at its root, for desire is the root of suffering. Yeah. So then he further asks the hate man, what do you think, hate man? Before you saw your wife or heard about her, did you have any desire, attachment or affection for her? No, venerable sir. Yeah. Uh, let me hold my thought first. Yeah, I, I'm getting a bit high and, oh, let me hold myself back. Uh, hold on. Read the next line. Then was it happening only when you saw her or heard about her that this desire, attachment and affection arose in you? Yes, wherever, sir. Thank you. Yeah, so, uh, it's a, it's a gradual build up. Yeah. You notice, again, uh, the Buddha asked certain questions which, uh, and you notice the answer is just no venerable, sir. Plain and simple. Yeah, very plain and simple. People ask you a question, you answer. Plain and simple. If it's a yes or no, you don't beat around a bush, go all over the place. You just answer yes or no. Why? Because there's a certain point that the person, in this case, the Buddha is trying to lead you to. Yeah. But if, 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 if people just keep, you know, <laughs> then you cannot get to the point, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, Thomas. Okay. What do you think, hitman, if your wife were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored? Would sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair arise in you? Venerable sir, if my wife were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored, even my life would seem futile. How could, so how could sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair not arise in me? Thank you. Uh, Nancy, the last section. In this way too, it man, it can be understood. Whatever suffering arises, all it arises rooted in desire. With desire as a source, for desire is the root of suffering. Thank you. So, with the gradual build-up, then uh, the Buddha hammers it in, yeah, and then asks the question. Now, if your wife were to be executed, imprisoned, fined, or censored, would sorrow, lamentation, pain, dejection, and despair arise in you? Yeah. Then, then it becomes very apparent to the hitman. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Then the Buddha then concludes. In this way too, hitman, it can be understood. Whatever suffering arises, all that arises rooted in desire. Yeah. Do you see the connection? Why desire is linked to that eventual uh, suffering? Uh, and the key link here is this. What do you think, hate men? Before you saw your wife or heard about her, did you have any desire, attachment or affection for her? No, venerable sir. Yeah. Then was it, hitman, only when you saw her or heard about her that this desire, attachment and affection arose in you? Yes, venerable sir. Yeah. And once that has started, then the Buddha asked, 
if your wife were to be excluded, yeah. Now, the reason why I was quite excited is because, now, maybe you all be like, uh, what is Sifu up to? But if you all can recall, in some, some classes I've asked before, 10 years ago, before there was iPhone 7, can you have desire for iPhone 7? Or for that matter, uh, 20 years ago, before there's iPhone, can you have desire for iPhone? Cannot. <laughs> Only when you come into contact with it, when you have experienced it, yeah, then you can have desire and craving and so on. Yeah. I remember I described this possibly in this class when we were talking about the 12 links. Yeah. That, uh, in the 12 links, with the six sense basis, then there's contact. With contact, then there's feelings. With feelings, then there can be craving and clinging. Yeah. So, um, on paper, it looks like something that you need to memorize. But when you really reflect upon it and you see the whole full implication, then it only makes sense. Yeah. Only when you have come into contact with something that you experience it. Yeah. And here we're not yet talking about the emotional feeling but just the initial experience of it. Then can you possibly have the different kind of emotions that happen after that? Which, here, before you saw your wife or heard about her, did you have any desire, attachment or affection for her? You cannot possibly have any of that for someone that you have not come into contact with. And in one class I recall, then I mentioned about, give the example of, like, if you have not heard of a country, yeah. Uh, even if you have not been there, you must have at least heard of it, seen a picture, uh, then arise interest, arise delight, and so on. Yeah. And once that has started, it triggers this domino effect, yeah, that ultimately leads to strong desire and attachment. And then from the desire and attachment, then the whole series of questions uh, kicks in. And the whole series of questions, it can be in a way, summarized as the principle of whatever you have desire for or have and have attachment to, um, if anything, any changes were to happen to it, uh, you would suffer. And why? Because the changes, changes have happened. Remember the Hasutra class? Changes just recently, uh, every week I keep keep drumming this in. All things changes due to conditions, not due to our whims and fancy. Yeah. So the change that happens is uncertain. And that is what is suffering about it. Because the change is not according to your decision. Sometimes it matches your decision. But the only thing it is, is that it matches. But it's actually not be simply because of your will. Yeah. But because there are conditions for it to happen this way, then it happens. Yeah. But our own experience, our experience gives us a different perception. It gives us a perception that, oh, sometimes we are in control, sometimes we are not in control. But in fact, we are never in control. Yeah. We can only partially influence the outcome. Yeah. As far as the conditions are concerned. Yeah. And that's the problem. So, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, which means, uh, 
Buddha or those Arahant, they have no desire, that means they don't attach to their, I mean they, they, they do have family before that as well. Uh-huh. So they are totally unattached, they have no desire, and they don't feel, if anything happened to their family, they don't feel anything. So, we, the, we tend to, it's a very good question first of all, um, and a question that has been asked many times. Uh, not just to myself, but to many people. Uh, the concern is, it, it seemed like um, enlightened ones wouldn't care. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what is what your concern. Yeah. And it's not just your concern. I'm sure everybody have this concern. Uh, most people have this concern once they reach a certain uh, exposure to the Dharma. Because that seems to be the case. So this is what I want to... Um, Impress upon you all. Uh, we are usually, um, our way of caring is usually like this. Whatever we identify as mine and we desire and we are attached to it, then we care. This is the way we know, we know how to care. We are attached to it and it's mine. It continues to be mine, then I care. Whatever that is not mine or cannot be mine, I don't care. The way we care is like that. Both are about caring, you know. It's not just the first one. The second one is also about caring. Yeah, because caring as an axis, you have a lot of care and no care. Yeah. So on the caring axis, our relationship is the, the way we understand in our mind, uh, if you can draw a curve, it is basically a, a, a straight line. Yeah, Caring axis and attachment axis. More attachment, more caring. Uh, so because of this um, model that we have in, wired in us, the moment the Buddha says no attachment, then we automatically conclude that there's no care. Yeah. <laughs> huh? but, but still uh, so, so, uh, this is the, the way unenlightened beings are. Enlightened beings are, don't use this formula anymore. Uh, we, enlightened beings, in a way, rewire everything inside. So, the caring and attachment is totally disjointed. Yeah. So, enlightened beings, in other words, uh, once a person becomes enlightened, the person truly see the real relation between people. Truly see that person's happiness and welfare as very as as independently as as crucial and not something that must exist because of me so enlightened beings actually care even more deeply than any of us who are not enlightened enlightened beings care about the happiness give you an example for us if we if we, let's say, care about someone, let's start from friends. Even normal friends. Uh, uh, if your your friend goes on a tour with you and then you take picture together, you're very happy. But if your friend <laughs> go on a tour with other people and take picture and look very happy, but slightly happier than when he was with you, well then maybe we may... We may feel a bit uneasy already, uh, but it depends on how close you are to that friend. 
Yeah. If you are with person A and then person A with person B, your person oh yeah, person A lah. Then you then there's A, B, and C. Yeah. Then to you, if all the while you thought that person A, uh, person B is closer to you than person C, and then yet from the Facebook photo, wow, with you. <laughs> When you go for tour, only take five selfie together. With the other person, take ten selfie. Whoa, even if it's normal friend. Hmm. So this is the kind of uh, the way we care, and it's not you alone, uh, but most people. Then if it's your best friend forever, oh, Then beyond the best friend forever, we talk about relationships, boy girl relationships. Then it becomes even trickier. You can be happy. I want you. Oh, I love you so much. I want you to be happy. But only with me. If you are happy with your father and mother, okay. Your brother and sister, okay. But if if the person saying this is a guy, then he would expect very naturally the girl to be happy only with him. Cannot be happier or even happy with some other guys. Even with if there's no relationship, ah, cannot. Yeah, in university. There's so much of this quarrel because why? So, hey, how come? Why are you busy the whole day? How come you never reply my text? Oh, I'm busy, but not as busy as somebody. Huh? Somebody was so happy at the canteen A. Yeah, I, I don't know. Some people, yeah, having such a good time in canteen A. Well, you know, this kind of things happen. Yeah. Why? Because the usual way of caring is such that we have. I involved must be I must be with me, yeah. So then, of course, when it gets to marriages, of course, whether it's marriage or relationships, uh, sometimes it may change. <laughs> so it it varies, yeah. Uh, but enlightened ones don't love in this way, don't care in this way. In a way, we can still say that enlightened ones love, you know. But it's just that we use love in a very constricted way. So we. We cannot imagine enlightened ones loving, but actually, if you if we consider the word love to be wanting happiness for that person, then it's not about then our usual love is a very myopic, constricted, constipated <laughs> form of love. You know, uh, enlightened ones love. I don't want to use the word "boi," yeah, because it has other connotation. But here, I want to say that enlightened ones love and care. Without attachment, yeah. uh, this is the tough part because of our our current wiring yeah. is a straight line. So no attachment, then no caring. But for them, but it's not easy to imagine how. Yeah, it's not yeah. easy to imagine. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, so but I'll tell you. Let me assure you. Ah, uh, it is possible. It is possible. Yeah. Let me just give you one one last example. Um, first example. When I say last example, but then it's one last examples. <laughs> first example. Doctors care about patients. Yeah, you cannot say that that's not care, uh, but it's a different kind of care compared to the romantic care. Yeah, but you cannot say that they don't care. Huh? I still have a, a whole list of examples, but I think I'll stop here. <laughs> yes. Same as teachers also. Yes. They care for the students. Yes. But human beings, human. That's why there are regulations in place to make sure that, uh, in fact, like doctors, they they have to routinely go for 
um, sometimes they have to go for therapy, yeah, or to go for in-house counseling because um, uh, part of their work, part of their profession. Sometimes some patients online complain, oh, you know, bedside manners is very bad. They don't seem to care. But it's because human, they are still human beings. No? They are not enlightened beings. So it's very hard to care for patients but not become attached. Yeah, so in a way, they, they use the professional process to not so much shield themselves, no, but to prevent further emotional attachment so that they can work professionally. Uh, Thomas, you have a question. Yes. Uh, caring doesn't mean it's attachment. Yeah. Like Buddha and disciple doesn't mean that it's attachment. Ma. Yes, the doctors, they just want to have a meeting, so they <laughs> say, do you want? Isn't that the first doctors nowadays? Okay, so the one thing you must understand about analogy. Energy has to be used in the way it's meant to be used. You cannot go beyond the usage of the energy. <laughs> yeah. Maybe can I give an example for this doctor thing, which okay, try. Like in the in the plane, uh. someone want to uh, deliver in the plane, then the the doctor will actually send send out and say, "Oh yeah, I'm the doctor." That is not nothing to do with earning money at mm. that situation. Yeah. Yeah, so this is where I must evoke, invoke the energy scope uh, rule or energy rule where an energy must be used within the scope of the energy. In, in this case, it is to illustrate that the doctor do not ha need to have attachment to the patient. Any other attachment is not considered inside the analogy. Just the... No. Just attachment to the patient. Because here we are using this relationship to illustrate attachment to someone. Yeah, so he is attached. If you, now you are, you are asking a good question. It's still a good question. I said that it goes beyond the boundaries of the intended use of the analogy. Because just now my question to Sifu was, uh, 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 why our hand and, and lighter one, they are not attached to their own loved one? Uh, as an example yeah. of how a person can still care for a person but not be attached to that person. Yeah. So if the you could also ask like, hey, but the is the doctor attached to his iPhone? Yeah, but it is beyond the scope of the analogy. You know what I mean? Uh, so to illustrate this point about scope, uh, for example, the Buddha uh, would talk about let's say stream and terror. Yeah. Uh, or Talk about the crossing paramita, crossing the river. Yeah. So, um, when you when you consider this, uh, the the raft and all those things, right, uh, is structured in a very uh, confined manner. Uh, there's no mention about whether it's a is a is the uh, rock, rockies, you know, uh, white water raft. There's no mention about any of this. But yet in other analogy, then the Buddha talked about crossing also. Then he says, then he described the, the speed of the flow of the, of the river. Uh, so in uh, using the same item, river, the Buddha go into different degrees and then only when he use it in the analogy can you refer to it. 
Yeah. Otherwise, in the analogy of the raft, then you can also question like, but are you sure the raft, raft, wow, what if it's the Rockies, you know, you'll be thrown away. What if that's tornado? <laughs> yeah. What if, what if after he cross over, there's a tiger behind? Will he not get eaten up? But that's beyond the analogy. You, you cannot add things to the analogy. Uh, or use the items out of context. Uh, because analogies are meant to be used within a very specific framework to illustrate an analogy. Uh, so you, you take anything out, no guarantee. <laughs> uh, no guarantee. Uh, you give a man a rod, uh, you know, you, you give a man a fish, you feed a man uh, one day. You give a man a rod, you feed him for life. Yeah? It's meant to illustrate a certain point. But if you, if you want to dig on it, then you, see, you can also say, but if he, if we have a rod, he will overfish the whole river, and then there's no more fish, and he, he died after that. The whole village died, because there's no more, no more fish. Uh, cannot, cannot. I cannot, cannot. Uh, about this, the children asking the teacher about the bird. There's no permanent, unchanging self. Yeah. So there is still the dependent arising temporal person there. Yeah. Emptiness uh, has two sides. Yeah. The other side is the dependent arising entity. When there are conditions, there's this class. The class is dependent arising, is empty. But the class has, although it's empty, it and has enhanced no inherentness. But yet, it has the dependent arising function. Yeah. So, we cannot uh, simply say that because it's empty in nature, so then the function also, we, we kill off the function. Functions still exist. Because all functions are dependent arising also. Uh, so likewise, uh, seeing that sentient beings are dependent arising and empty in nature, so no self, no inherent self. Uh, he sees that there is a dependent arising sentient being suffering over dependent arising desire. <laughs> yeah. And so out of because of this as a condition, then give rise to compassion. Because there's dependent arising suffering. Huh? Because there's compassion, he sees suffering, there's then arise compassion. What is compassion? Huh? 
Why is, why is compassion what? It is uh, it's quite a natural part for most people. If you do not have, if you see suffering and you don't give rise, there's a term for it. It's called a social path. Social path. Or psychopath, either one. Yeah. They, they are very similar. <laughs> yeah. When you, it's a natural tendency. I mean, this is where it, you are, you are veering on the. <laughs> so, um, instead of me telling you why it must be like that, uh, when you see suffering, what is the natural response? Uh huh, and? <laughs> uh huh. You want to remove suffering, right? Yeah, for me. Yeah. But when it happens to others, if it happens to be there is attachment, there is a bonds or ties of relationship, uh-huh. and yeah, suffering, sorrow, and so on. Yeah. Others. But if there is no, then. Yeah. So that's because currently you're not enlightened, ma. The en- enlightened one don't need yeah. don't need that person to belong to them. Not true. If no. I go outside and knock down by a car, you won't feel sad for me. <laughs> yeah. But, but let's, now, now, now let me ask you, let me ask you. You go down, you see a stranger get yeah. knocked down by a car, yeah. how would you feel? You feel sorry as well. Yeah, no, no, don't, don't say that you, you feel oh, sorry. No. How would you feel? If, if it is a stranger. Hostile, it's a foe, then, oh, if it's a what? If it's a foe, it's an enemy, then. Yeah, yeah. I, I say stranger, ma. Oh, stranger. Yeah, yeah. It must answer factually, like as though it's happening. Uh. I will feel shocked first. Uh huh, and then? Oh my god. 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 Now we are seeing the. There will be a little breeze. Huh? A little breeze. A little sadness. Okay. And then what? Would you, uh, would you think about. And then the person like. Help me! Help me! <laughs> then what do you do? <laughs> you will help him. What, but why should you help him? Why should you help him? It's a natural <laughs> So. I don't care about those people who don't do that. But so you cannot ask that question because for you, you do. Uh, so once we, you can agree with that, right? Yes. Yeah, so it doesn't apply to you. Now then we can talk about those who who don't have that. Yeah. So for for most people, the natural thing is you have to agree that for most people, of at least for some people, the natural thing is you see suffering, you give rise to compassion. Yeah. Compassion is not a big word out there. Compassion is basically that sense of goodwill towards others that uh manifests in the wish to remove suffering. You see suffering, you see someone suffering, you want to remove the suffering. Yeah. Are there those, because you seem to take that exception case as the norm. You are taking the exception as the norm. I'm not dismissing the exception, I'm just putting it aside first. To agree that, um, perhaps there's some norm that most people would feel that. But even if we don't say that compassion is the norm, we must agree that there are some people who would have compassion. Yeah. Now then the question is, is the Buddha more like the those who would have compassion or no compassion? Mm-hmm. 
you know, that's why they when they see them, they still come up with. By your orange, by your orange, huh? So is there any reason for you why you see someone suffering? No, you're not the person who get knocked down. You see some stranger get knocked down. Which how, how do you how do you call that? <laughs> the golden rule, Yeah, the negative golden rule. So another way to look at it is it starts off with empathy for that person to feel for how that person is feeling because after all you are not the one who get knocked down. So it starts with empathy. Then from there, for your case, it gives rise to compassion. Yeah. Now, perhaps there are two more angles that you were trying to ask. One is, how is it that the Buddha would still, would, would actually have compassion? Compassion is also cultivated. Yeah. For some people, it's just not a natural thing. Yeah. So that's why we have all the practices to cultivate compassion. Then the second part is, uh, your, perhaps actually your original question. But why should I save since it's empty? But if you say that, then it means that you are, you are actually veering into nihilism. Yeah. And what we call, uh, kong. Yeah. The wrong, the wrong grasping or understanding of emptiness. Yeah. You are, you, uh, perhaps you are playing the devil's advocate. Perhaps you are not. But, uh, whichever case, your, your line of reasoning, is indicating that you are understanding emptiness to mean voidness. Voidness. Yeah, emptiness is not voidness. This concept that because there's no self, then there's no you and I, and we are all the same, came much later. In the earlier text, we don't talk about this. In Madhanika, we also don't talk about this. In Yogacara, we still don't talk about this. Only at the later Tathagata Gaba stage, then we start to talk about the Tao. Yeah, and all, all seemingly the same. Yeah, this came much later. Yeah. And I have question mark whether this is the approach, the right approach. Yeah, because it's simply replacing uh, you and me as a bigger I. And this is a very dangerous parallel to the uh, Brahmin, Brahmin uh, concept of the great Atman, the Maha Atman. Yeah. Uh, it shouldn't be positioned in this way, yeah, because there is the the shortcoming of it becoming a slippery slope to draw the wrong conclusion. Uh, it quite easy, yeah, because if you can accept that, oh, actually, there's no. I mean, if you if a person not you, but if a person 
learning no self, then think that, oh, actually the implication, or perhaps the real underlying truth is that, yeah, there's no, no separate self, but there's one big self. Then, it, you are one step closer to thinking that, oh, so what is this one big self? Call it the higher consciousness. Call it the higher being. Then next thing you know, when someone else come and introduce, hey, actually that is the same concept that we have in our religion. You call it higher consciousness, you call it the Tathagatagaba, we call it Brahma. Actually, same in meaning, same in essence. Yeah. But when the Buddha refuted self, he wasn't asserting that uh, there's no separation between beings. Yeah. Even Venerable Tinahan, when he talked about the interdependency, uh, it is a, a bit of a slippery slope. Yeah, because there are some people who may even quote him and then draw that wrong conclusion also. Yeah. Like, for example, in Heart Sutra, it, I, I also highlighted about how we don't exist independently. But I don't then conclude that we are, we are one. Yeah. Dependent arisingly, we play different roles. Ma. Yeah. The teacher is not separated from, cannot be established separated from the student. But even when both are established, they are dependent arisingly different entities. Yeah. So it is not on the basis that, oh, because we are all one, so you help. That person is like helping yourself. When you notice that in this way, uh, there's still a, a self. Mm. So that is a wrong view. Yeah. And it's a, the, the, the danger is that it's a very subtle wrong view. So it's very hard to detect. Very hard to detect. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. That because um, it is not an unpopular mindset. It's not an unpopular. It is not an unpopular view. Yeah. Some people say, "Ah, yeah, Sifu, why come you always say one big round? Just say that it's a popular view." No. <laughs> if you the the two statements actually have different. Yeah. Uh, not 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 that one actually because the. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the way I see it, there is no self, there is no other, even for unenlightened beings. Uh, in the sense that uh, suffering arises and they try to. Uh, no. No. Sorry, I, I just want to clarify one thing about what you just said. No self or other. So, uh, it's not so much no self or other. Yeah. But it's just the principle, no self. Uh, I meant it in the sense of that when people try to get rid of suffering, they're uh. not exactly trying to get rid of my suffering, even unenlightened beings. In the sense they see suffering, like this is my idea. Yeah. That okay. They see suffering arise, which mm. might be attributed to them or to others. Okay. The me and others is, is a different issue. So for more enlightened beings, because yeah. the boundary is broken down and they are empathetic, they see suffering arise and they try to uh, remove that suffering. So, when it arises, they, they, when they see another person suffering, they it's as if they themselves, it's not as if they themselves are suffering, but they see it uh, arising in the same sense and that is basically compassion for them. So, uh, okay. this is just my view of 
the matter. So uh, I was thinking that. Uh, so when another person in front of them is suffering, they will try to be compassionate towards them. But let's say if the other person is also enlightened and is not subject to suffering, then will compassion arise in them, knowing that this person, uh, even though he is being subjected to physical pain, he uh, will not have suffering arise in him. Or let's say uh, if he sees an unenlightened person, will he put the needs of this person over themselves? Uh. So, uh, from the example, let me answer the last part, uh, because that seems to be the final question. So, when an enlightened person were to uh, uh, encounter someone who has suffering, given that the enlightened being has, has basically no more concern or preoccupation with their own suffering, if at all, uh, more correctly, physical pain, because they, they will not have mental suffering. Yeah. So will they put others uh suffering on top of their own? Uh we can say that uh yes, they would do that. So for example, in the case of the Buddha, when Naga Livi, the drunken ele- the elephant who got drunk in a way like drunk, uh, become drunk and then was charging at him. Uh, Venerable Ananda wanted to protect the Buddha. Yeah. But the Buddha told him, no, step aside. Yeah. Uh, one could, uh, let me first say that, so that's an example of him putting others suffering, potential suffering, haven't even suffered, potential danger, yeah, over his own. Uh, but let me counter my own statement by saying, um, maybe as the Buddha, he knows very clearly that what is within the limitations of his his ability to resolve the issue or not? So he knows clearly that he is able to hmm, encompass Nagaliri with with love and compassion. Yeah. So one could argue that way. Yeah. But still, that's a you know question mark uh, Are there other examples of enlightened ones who would put the the yeah there are. Uh, very clearly in Jataka. Yeah, in the Jataka Suttas, the Buddha in many cases sacrificed himself for others. Yeah. And that's when he was a Buddhisattva. Not even Buddha yet. Uh, so from this we can see that, uh, for them, they are able to, uh, consider the suffering of others above their own. So that so in summary, there are two parts here. Uh, one is uh, as far as suffering is concerned, uh, or rather, as far as sentient beings are concerned, uh, if sentient beings are dependent arising, and then if you bring in the whole, uh, it's like a dream and so on. Then what's the purpose of saving sentient beings or even caring for them? Yeah, so. The, the usual answer is, while sentient beings are in a dreamlike state, but, uh, they are suffering for real. In the dream. Yeah. So even when we are in a dream, and you dream that a dog is coming at you, you really have the fear. When you dream that you're gonna fall, you really feel vertigo. So, while that, that fear, that suffering, anxiety and all, is, 
unreal in a way, we must know that the, the key defining um, point here is sentient being or suffering. Uh, when we say that they are empty in nature, it doesn't mean that it, they don't exist. We say that they don't exist independently. We say that it's insubstantial. Yeah, but if this is a Zen monastery, and this was 200 years ago, when Thomas asked the question, uh, one of these items will have flew at him. <laughs> and it is not, it is not a retort to keep him, make him shut up, but it's to let him realize that, yeah, there is, there is real fear. Yeah. So for the sentient being, although it's from, from the enlightened being, they see clearly that all this is illusory, but they also see that to the sentient being is not. Yeah. So out of compassion for the illusory suffering, they still go and try to help. Now, um, I, I mentioned about how uh, this is the usual way of answering it. But I want to give you another example. <laughs> um, the example is <laughs> uh, So, for example, uh, I have asked you on the question before about your favorite toy in the past. Remember? Yeah. Uh, I think it was in your place one day. So, I don't know whether you were there. But uh, the question was, so, uh, think of your favorite toy and how you would derive a lot of joy from it yeah, in the past. And rightly speaking now, hopefully, you don't, you, you are, you don't feel the same way. Uh, and in the past, when the toy is taken away from you, you we would suffer to different degrees depending on how much desire and attachment we have. Agree? Yeah. Now, today, did any of you bring your favorite toy? I hope not. Yeah. Of course, as we move forward in future, this question may not apply because kids' favorite toy is the hand handphone. Yeah. They will still bring a handphone. Uh, but the game, hopefully, the game has changed. Yeah. If they are, not, they grow up in their thirties and they are still playing Minecraft, uh, <laughs> could be a bit tricky. Yeah. But suffice to say, we can all see clearly how we don't delight and get excited over the same toy. Likewise, we don't suffer over it. So then I, I, I draw the conclusion that as far as that toy is concerned, we are enlightened. But wait, not really. We just experience the absence of suffering. But we're not really enlightened. But as far as that toy is concerned, in a way we have experienced Nibbana. Because Nibbana is basically the absence of suffering. Yeah, end of that. But because it is not through the noble eightfold path, it's not through the correct severing of the wrong view and wrong perception, uh, it's only temporary. When we are reborn again, again the wrong idea come out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's short term and it's only with respect to that toy. And that's why we don't say that we are enlightened. So far so good? Now, if that is okay, then we say, although we, we now relate to it differently, yeah, and for the most part, adults relate to toys very clearly that this is a toy. So we are able to engage our nieces and nephew, or in my case, beyond my nieces and nephew. I can have children come to my office or my place now, play carrom with them. Yeah? 
Partly because I know that I can win, but even if I lose, it's okay. And in fact, sometimes I purposely lose to them. Yeah. So, being an adult, as far as toys are concerned, we're able to still play with the toy without attachment and use the toy as a tool, as a t teaching point. We know that the toy is just a toy. It's not real. Yeah. But we see that our children, yeah, or other people's children are so attached to it. So we, in order to teach them about a toy, you must use a toy and teach them something beyond the toy. Not all of them will learn it immediately, but we hope to plant the seed. So, um, in much the same way, I would see the enlightened ones, um, except that they don't just see the current board as a toy. They see our whole world as the game of life. As the game of life. So they willingly appear in this world, um, and sometimes let us win, sometimes make us lose. Yeah, But all to nudge us slowly towards realizing that all this is but again. Saying that uh, our we are no longer affected by the toy, you are saying that it's because the karmic seed for related to that toy is totally extinguished or used up already. Uh, the karmic seed for that is already used up. Uh, Let's just go with that first. And then you are saying that uh, the trouble is, uh, although that is used up, while th that has happened, we plant new seeds. And so because of that, we just keep on perpetuating this cycle. So there are some part of this statement, I agree, that as we experience, uh, let's say, the human life, after we die, uh, by the time we die, usually... It means that the human, the, the seed for human life is totally used up, usually. But sometimes we get interrupted, then there's still some left, you get reborn again, and then use up the rest. But in the process, maybe you, you plant new seeds for human rebirth, so it can get extended in a way. So, uh, in the process, when, before it's used up, we plant new seeds. Yeah, so this part I agree. 
but as to whether uh, when we talk about the toy, whether it's directly related to karmic seed, uh, that one I hold some reservation. Yeah, I hold some reservation. Yeah, uh, it's um, yeah because to to suggest that our attachment to we can say that our attachment to the toy or anything as such is influenced by some karmic sin, but not. I hesitate to say that it's totally due to a karmic sin, because otherwise it seems to imply a deterministic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So in this uh, we say uh, there's a three part of a category. Uh, first part is the karmic uh, seeds. The other, uh, the other one is the gongye, uh, 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 we have gongye and gongye. And one is what? Yingye, manye. So uh, I think, uh, I mean, in, individually, yeah, I mean, we only talk on the karmic seed. But if a influence uh, with a wider, I mean, uh, aspect, then it will yeah but again uh, while this is not exactly the same here uh, that's why I say that I agree with part of the statement uh, but when we draw the example of the toy uh, to bring in karma uh, is extending a bit beyond the example yeah I'm sure it can be linked somehow but uh, I hesitate to, to do that to do to do that as well, and the reason is no, and the reason is because uh, my approach is usually this: if you if we try to understand the whole world all at once, ah, it's not so easy. If you try to to say, oh, uh, we've been in one using one walk, yeah, one walk, one time you cook, finish out. 10 dishes, almost impossible. How to cook 10 dishes all at once? But you take the whole meal and say, okay, there's rice, I cook rice one time, separately. Then I cook curry, then I cook sabihun. Uh, you cook one thing at a time, yes, you can do that. But if you try to cook all dishes all at once, it uh, can be a bit tricky. And so my approach to the Dharma is similar. Uh, we would say, okay, now, when we talk about the toy, it is trying to illustrate how our how we feel towards the toy, yeah, whether there's desire or attachment, can change how we relate to it, and in turn, determine whether we have delight, we have pleasure, or we have suffering. Yeah. So there are many other parts to the teachings, ma. Uh, but you, I usually restrict the discussion to this part. Why? Because we cook one dish at a time. Uh, otherwise, you can also bring in to say, uh, but is there any any uh, uh, precept broken? Huh? Or then, well, there's no end. Huh? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, I, I, I'm not dismissing everything you said, but I agree with the principle you mentioned yeah, about how while we experience a karma, generally speaking, not related to a toy, huh? generally speaking, as we experience the ripening of a karma, the trouble is, we plant new ones. Yeah. So the Buddha's approach is not to say, oh, go and experience all your karma. Uh, that's why Buddhist teaching don't advocate uh, self-mutilation. 
the self-mutilation, self-mortification, give yourself pain, suffering, or someone bully you, oh, come, come, bully me more, bully me more. Uh, but unfortunately, although the Buddha teach not to do that, nowadays a lot of Buddhists do that. A lot of Buddhists have this wrong view, oh, I encounter someone who bully me, oh, good, good, uh, bully me more, bully more, me more. That is not Buddhist. I mean, unless they want to, I mean, uh, surpass the, 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 the suffering uh, on these actions. Or, I mean, huh? uh, some people, they purposely go and find that, hey, I want to try uh, myself, uh, how mm-hmm. I can endure the, 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 these actions. Uh, but you notice that the noble, yeah, but you notice that the noble eightfold path, there's no part that say go and look for someone to bully you. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, there's no part that talk about that. And e- and even and even the six parameter right on patience, patience parameter, it never say go and look for someone to torture you, then you enjoy it. It says if some if some suffering arise in you, you have to be able to bear with it without giving rise to defilements. Uh, uh, so I just want to highlight this. So as far as the principle is concerned, uh, it is true that we tend to plant new seeds while we are experienced old one. But we must know that this uh, doesn't mean that our aim in Buddhism is to oh, go and experience all the negative seeds to become enlightened. Yeah, Number one. Number two, the 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 first part which you mentioned linking this to the toy uh, I ha- I hold reservation yeah because the example I gave about toys wasn't meant to be to include everything in the Buddha's teaching huh? yeah no but I'm telling you cannot bring in zongzi okay yuan uh不是言语言啊语言啊语言啊不是言语言啊是呃不是我们所可以控制啊可是那个种子是我们本身的只是这个语言啊就像因为师傅说呃呃你你 原原哈是呃因为很多啊是一个大环境的而且哈是我们不能掌握的可是我们的这个贪心哈是我们我们本身跟我们打的力了开始不了知道所以我所理解的哈就是你说以后以后的三生 on the piece 哈对 you cannot put everything in one 我们不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不不
If you try to cook 10 dishes all at once, focus, listen to what I'm saying. If you, I mean, if you are, if you want to, if you're not okay. interested, then I, I, no, I okay. you don't have to. When I give the illustration that if you try to cook 10 dishes all at once, uh, it's virtually impossible. Yeah. So instead of cooking 10 dishes, 100 dishes all at once, you look at the whole menu and you cook one at a time. Similarly, when we look at Buddhism, we don't try to lump everything together. I mean, you just look at this one sutra that we just talked about. Notice that the Buddha never talked about, never talked about five precepts, right? The Buddha also never talked about karmic seeds. Why? Because at every juncture, there's usually some point that the Buddha is trying to teach. Sometimes more points than others, but the, the speaker defined the scope. Uh, so what I was trying to highlight to you is, while I agree with the principle of what you said, you cannot link that and try to um, shoehorn it, try to squeeze it into what the, the, the example I give. Because otherwise, you're introducing another variable to the whole picture, which I, 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 uh, which the original example didn't have to account for, yeah, and isn't meant to account for, yeah. But now, now, then you are suddenly saying, oh, actually, a, a lot of things require conditions, and so you seem to be deviating from what I am saying. I'm saying you cannot lump the the teaching on coming seeds into what we just talked about. We are talking about this life, not talking about past life, plant seed, and then this and that. Yeah, and because the first part that you mentioned uh, to suggest that focus, focus, the to suggest that the our our liking or attachment to the toy is due to some seeds. I hold reservation there because it's not as simple as that. Yeah. To simply just try to join it uh, will be doing disservice to the original example and also to the teaching on karma. Understand? Sorry? No, I already said don't bring in seeds. Then you now want to talk about mutation of seeds. Don't bring in seeds. <laughs> Understand or not? Poland. Uh, Were you listening? Yeah, yeah, listening. So what did I just say? Yes, yeah, so don't ask me to repeat. La. <laughs> no, what is the last line I just said? What? Yeah, but what is the last thing I just said to you? Were you listening? Uh, I, I remember this one. So, okay, so this is the thing. Um, the difference between Chiravasi is that he answered according to what the Buddha asked and he remained focused when the Buddha is asking. I mean, at least it's not apparent that he drift all over the place. Huh? For us to have a normal dialogue, we're not even, don't even talk about <laughs> Dharma discussion. You need to maintain some spread of for us to discuss on certain that's not that's one but two we need to remain congruent we need to be talking about the same thing mm -hmm. you cannot 
choose to switch topic anytime you want. You know what I mean? No, I disagree with what you are trying to imply here. I try to imply that, oh, Shifu, when you explain, you have to limit the scope and put in assumption so that it works. It's because you are not like the Buddha, cannot fully understand and link everything together. Whereas for the Buddha, he can Ronghui Guan Tong, everything can link together. We can, but do you get the original point? If you cannot even get the original point, why do you want to link everything else inside? No, no, no. You need to understand. We are unable to link the whole thing. I can stop with it.